Mindfulness Mode 426. I went up to him and I, I challenged him and I said, how dare you do that? That is a terrible thing that you just did. Hey, welcome to Mindfulness Mode, Mindful Tribe. I am Bruce Langford, your host. I've been working all week on the Mindfulness Mode membership family, getting this all ready for our June 12th launch. So I hope you write that on your calendar. We're going to have a big event on June 12th. I've asked you for ideas for a great name, and I received this suggestion, the Mindfulness Mode Mind Hackers. What do you think? I've asked you also how you can benefit from being in this group. What do you think I can offer to benefit you the most? And some of you have said things like, you know, guided meditations by me, a live monthly call, mindfulness tips and tools, healing music that I create, that I, that I uh, compose. Well, I'm open to more ideas. Would you do me a favor? Would you do me this huge favor? Would you complete a quick five question survey for me about what this group can offer you. I've just made up this survey and like I said it's super easy, super quick. I'll send out a free mindfulness mode t-shirt to the first five people who complete the survey. So that could be you. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash mm survey. That's mindfulnessmode.com mm survey. Oh, and if you listen today to the very end of today's interview, I have a free meditation to offer you, so keep that in mind. My guest today, Mindful Tribe, is the founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Thinking. She's the author of Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity, which is a great book. She's such a knowledgeable person on the topic of mindfulness one of the things she said, she said, mindfulness keeps us present and aware. It provides a pathway to experiencing an expansiveness that gives us a feeling of oneness with the world. Well, I just loved spending time with her and hearing her in-depth answers to my questions. I think you will too. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview with Aura Nadrich. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Today, I have a guest with me who is so authentic, and you'll understand why I say that in a moment. My guest is Aura Nadrich. Aura, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am very present with you, Bruce. I'm here in the now, and I'm so looking forward to staying present with you in this interview. And I can tell you are, I can see you here on my screen, and it's wonderful to be in your, in your virtual presence. Aura Nadrich is founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Thinking, and she's the author of a fantastic new book called Live True, A Mindfulness Guide to Authenticity. So there you go. Now you know why I said that a minute ago. A certified life coach and mindfulness teacher, she specializes in transformational thinking, self-discovery, and mentoring new coaches as they develop their careers. And you can learn more about Aura at her website, which is T-H-E, and then the acronym I-F-T-T, standing for Institute for Transformational Thinking. So it's the Institute for Transformational Thinking. So Aura, 
We're going to talk about authenticity. We're going to talk about mindfulness. Why don't we start there? What is mindfulness to you? What does it mean in your life? Mindfulness means to me to be present in my life, to what I like to say, show up for the moments of my life, each and every one of them to the best of my ability. It means being in a state of awareness, being available to the experience experience of what life has to present to me. So in its, I think, most simple essence, it's being in the present moment with total awareness. Well, then you start your book almost right away talking about authenticity. And I think that's a word that we hear a lot, but we don't often hear it uh, defined. So how do you define it? I define authenticity. I mean, we know by the definition of authenticity or authentic is real and genuine. So how then do we take that definition and apply it to the authentic self? Well, that is the real, genuine self. That means this is our true nature, also called Buddha nature, if you will. This is the essence of our spirit, of our soul, who we came in as. And with time, you know, we can lose sight of the authentic self. And so what my book really offers up is to help people not only identify their own authenticity, the authentic self and what that means to them, but if you've lost sight of it or you don't feel that you're actualizing that in your life, I want to help people reconnect to their most authentic, truest essence of self. And I love how you said in your book at the beginning, we are Buddhas waiting to, to awaken. That is such a great way to start your book off. Now, for our listeners, can you explain that a little bit more? Well, when I say something like Buddha nature, you know, understanding this concept doesn't mean that you have to be a Buddhist or that you have to practice Buddhism. I refer to Buddhas in the waking when we think of the Buddha, um, Siddhartha, Gautama Siddhartha, he was an enlightened one. A Buddha means an enlightened one. And when I say we are Buddhas in the making, we are in the process of our self-realization. We are in the process of actualizing our true nature and living it as such. So therefore, I consider that we are Buddhas in the making. This is the path of self-realization. This is the journey of awakening. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, it really is the journey of awakening. You divide the book into four sections, and I, I think this is very, very brilliant the way you've done this. The first section is time, and then you moved on to understanding, living, and realization. And... Um, I want to know if you would share the process that was involved when you decided on these four sections for the book, because that can be very difficult to lay that groundwork. You know, I write in a way that I consider myself an open vessel, and I feel that I'm guided in my writing and that I direct the, the teachings in my book to my own personal journey that I can share with others. And I broke it down in those four categories, if you will, because it felt authentic to the evolution of the journey of discovery in Live True. And that if we could approach this understanding 
uh, the teachings that I offer and break it down in such a way that I could take the reader on that journey, do you know, and begin with that and then come to finally the realization that one can derive from having taken the journey in this book. Well, your sister Esther passed away, and that had a profound effect on you and on the creation of this book. Can you describe what you were going through and how that impacted your life? Yes, uh, I want to share with you that Esther was also the inspiration for my first book, Says Who? And it really came, if you will, almost full circle, even though I feel that she is guiding me. She's like my North Star. She was my older sister. Um, I had two. And Esther passed away right before I wrote Live True. And uh, she had been on her own personal journey of awakening. Her particular path was one that had the affliction of mental illness. I consider her a Buddha in that she really uh, took this journey, which was a very arduous one, to really awaken in her own personal journey and to fulfill her destiny, I believe, this time around. You know, Bruce, when she passed, I felt very called to write this book. And as I said, I felt that she was a guiding uh, presence for me. And what really um, came to the foreground of my understanding of life and present moment awareness is that these moments of our lives are very precious. You know, for anyone who's lost a loved one, it puts everything in perspective. You know, you look at life and you realize that these moments are not meant for us to waste these moments are very precious. So she really was the crystallization, if you will, of that understanding for me that life is incredibly precious. Let us awaken to the moments of our lives and let us be as present as we possibly can with gratitude that we are alive yet for another moment. When you first open your book, you see Marianne Williamson commenting and Jack Canfield, and you think, wow, that is incredible. Marianne Williamson said, Aura Nadrich is one of my favorite wise women. And once I started reading the book, I understood why she said that, because the wisdom just jumps off the pages. And you have such a beautiful way of speaking, a beautiful way of writing that certainly spoke to me. And it, it, it is tremendous that you're able to get these kinds of uh, comments. Was that difficult? How did you feel when you read for the first time some of these comments by Jack Canfield, Marianne Williamson, Marcy Shimoff, so many people like this? I was beyond uh, grateful and humbled <laughs> to really tell you how I felt. I respect and honor and value these people that really joined together and supported me in my vision, do you know? And to have them come forward and to write these words of generous spirit as they each and every one have, 
again, I was beyond touched and humbled by it and in eternal gratitude for the love and the support that they've given me. Well, there are 30 chapters in the book, and each chapter ends with a meditation, and I love that. And those are meditations that we can take and use each of the 30 days of the month or, you know, whatever month it is. You can do one every day or do whatever you like, but those meditations really spoke to me. How like did you did you find it difficult to write those? Did the words just flow the first time? Was there, tell us about that? <laughs> I love that question. Do you know I love the flow. You know the flow to me is when we are really being authentic to ourselves because we're in the flow of who we really are. And I like to think that when I was writing this book, I was in the authentic flow of aura. Meditations are something that I, I, I guess I think very meditatively, if you will. I've been a meditator for over 35 years. Um, I love the whole idea of sitting, quieting the mind. And what I did really, Bruce, is I really took the essence of each chapter. I took the pearls. I took the nuggets. And what I did is I thought, you know, those pearls, those nuggets, which really could be like the, the mantras of what one can say to themselves when they're sitting in meditation, I really felt that that was the essence of the chapter. And it would be a, a really lovely way to take that essence and then be able to offer up a meditation to my reader after each chapter. And that's what I did. And I also want to add that I have a audio of all those meditations that people can uh, listen to. They're quite lovely. They're to music and they're on all the music apps. So it's the Live True Meditations. That's great that readers can have that opportunity to listen to your guided meditations. The cover of your book is beautiful. It's an incredible mountain scene with a dock and a lake in the foreground. What inspired you to use this photo and this, this picture for your cover? Well, this picture was an existing uh, picture. We give the uh, photographer the credit. And then we really imbued it with our own personal touches and uh, was done by one of my members of my team, um, Dimitri, who's quite talented. So we just really, um, you know, thought of what is a cover that would best reflect me. And this is the, the cover that I, I approved and I really felt was the capturing of quietude and meditation and serenity and it could be anywhere i mean you look at that that image and that photo and i think it really brings you into the serenity you know that the picture really shows Yes, it does. It reminds me of Canada. It reminds me of the Rocky Mountains in Canada, but I'm from Canada. Where <laughs> where was that mountain? Do you know where the mountain is? You know, it's so funny because people have asked me and people have also said to me that that mountain reminds them of mountains that they're familiar with. So what I like to say is let it be whatever mountain you want it to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's wonderful. Now, the other book that you wrote says who... And it's the subtitle is How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. I have not had the privilege of reading that book yet. Can you give us a clue as to what that one simple question is? Do you know the one simple question really is says who, even though that is the first question of the says who 
questioning method that I've created. What it is, is it, they are seven questions to really ask ourselves when a negative or fear-based thought comes up in our mind. Unless we have some kind of questioning system in place, we're oftentimes readily accepting of thoughts that don't serve our well-being. And this is really why I felt compelled to write Says Who, so that people could begin the process of challenging their inner dialogue, which oftentimes is very negative and can be very harmful to their well-being. Yes, it can. Oro, when you were eight years old, was there foreshadowing that you would be the kind of meditative, mindful person that you are today? What was your life like at eight years old? Oh, I love that you're asking me eight years old. No one's ever asked me a specific age before. I was definitely a contemplative child. And I, even though I didn't have the verbiage to describe myself as such, I consider that I was an existentialist starting very young. I was very curious about life. I had a deep curiosity. I do consider myself a deep thinker. And I think I was probably that even as early as eight. I began to write contemplative poetry at 10. Oh, you did? I did. I started to write poetry. I mean, reams and reams of poetry. I was a big daydreamer, which is something I like to bring up today when it comes to contemplation, you know, to be able to sit quietly and what would have been thought of as daydreaming. I now say that's really contemplation, do you know? And I also uh, bring up something in my book called life gazing, which is to be really, if you will, a daydreamer, you know, to be able to look out the window and look at the beauty that is all around us. So to answer your question again, specifically, Bruce, yes, at eight years old, I definitely would consider that foreshadowing, if you will, of the woman that I have become. And I say that we are we are being and we are becoming. We are constantly evolving and we are constantly in a state of transformation. So um, in time's continuum, I can really look at who I am today and I can connect it. What was there all along was the spirit and that is the authentic self. Right, right. What was the most fearful experience you've ever gone through in your life, Aura? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I consider fear my has been one of my greatest teachers. And sometimes I will say this because I can't say that one thought comes to mind, although I will say that, um, well, I, actually I do. You know, as you when you first asked me the question, I thought of the value of fear and that it can be the great conduit for change. Yes. My fear um, experience, and I talk about it in Says Who more than I talk about it in Live True, was when my sister Esther had a mental breakdown. I was not quite 15 years old, and she had a mental breakdown. And I went into a deep fight or flight state, which is a fear state. I was really traumatized by that. And um, I recall literally going into a deep fear state. So that would probably be considered my biggest fear experience, for sure. And so you've experienced a number of transformations. Can you tell us about some of your most memorable transformations you've experienced? 
You know, I feel that aside from that first experience as a young woman where I really can identify is fear. I mean, you know, things happen in our life where we get afraid, you know, um, a dog can come out of nowhere. We can be hiking and encounter a snake. I mean, there's so many things that can cause fear. I have really viewed fear in my life as sometimes specific things, like I just explained to you about my sister's breakdown. Sometimes I feel it in my body and I know that I might be on the precipice of a transformational change within myself. That means that sometimes it's in my unconscious and I don't even know it consciously yet, but I'm about to have a raising of consciousness. And I'm very connected to uh, dream work. I have a Jungian analyzed background and I do a lot of dream work. And I would say that that's why I try and really encourage people not to be afraid of fear that it can be the greatest transformational experience. So really, Bruce, I, I would say to you that, you know, death, I've experienced the death of three loved ones in my family. Death is the most profound transformational experience you can possibly have. And I would say that those three passings of my loved family members were profoundly transformative for me. I don't know if you have children, Aura, but have children influenced you in your mindfulness journey? Absolutely. I have two children. I have two boys. And uh, the whole journey of parenting is ripe for um, strengthening mindfulness. Mindfulness really helps you in being more present with your children. And it certainly has for me. And I apply that till today because I use that as an example. I say, you know, I have something in Live Truth called mindfulness repair. And the reason I brought that into the book is that I have been aware of maybe uh, times when I've talked to one of my children and maybe I was hurried. And what we do with mindfulness repair is we become much more cognizant of when we're not being, we're being mindful with our loved ones. So if this is the answer to your question, I consider uh, being a parent the greatest learning and becoming more mindful. They have been great teachers for me, and I have been fortunate enough to try out my mindfulness skills on my children. Well, it's important, isn't it, to try out your skills on on family members or whoever you can, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. It is. And that's the beauty of mindfulness is that we can use it on our loved ones. And when I say use it, it's to everybody's benefit. Of course. Do you know, the more I practice mindfulness, you know, with my family members, with my loved ones, with friends, with everybody in my life, the more we all benefit. And I think that when you do that, you really are inviting others to do the same. Yes, I agree. You end the section in your book, the section on living, with the topic of service. How can mindfulness help us serve in the way that we're meant to serve? Well, mindfulness, I say, is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it is such a 
uh, incredible awakening to not only the potential of who we are, but what our gifts are, do you know? And the beauty of applying mindfulness to service and being in service is that I say it gives us an opportunity not just to be hyper-focused on ourselves and to be me-centric. Do you know what it does is mindfulness makes us more expansive in our awareness of others. And when we're aware of others, we want to give to others. Well, how can we give to others? We can be in service. Do you know we can do acts of kindness to others? We can then extend that those acts of service to people in need, to the underserved, to people that don't have as much as we have. Do you know, it really helps us know how to be more aware and how to be more open in our giving to others. That's the beauty of mindfulness and being in service. Absolutely. Were you ever bullied? Do you have a story about bullying that you could share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? I actually have a personal story with bullying and I also speak about bullying more extensively in Says Who um, because I do believe that mindfulness is extremely helpful in bullying. The Says Who method that I created, just to circle back to my book, really is a questioning method so that if in fact you're bullied, you don't have to believe what someone's telling you. You know, someone can say very mean things to you and when you're a young person, you suddenly go, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not that good, or I'm not good at sports, or I'm not lovable. You know, we believe a lot of things when we're children, and that's when we usually get bullied. My personal experience with bullying was I was in elementary school, and there was a boy, I would say I was probably in, to my recollection, fifth grade, and there was a boy who was a bona fide bully. He was not a happy child. I mean, I can see so much more now than I did then. Sure. Do you know? He yeah. was a very agitated young man. And he was angry and he would take it out on the kids. He did something that was really low in that he took it out mostly on girls. And rather than to pick fights with boys, he would pick fights with girls. And he this is quite vivid and probably disturbing, but he took a girlfriend of mine that was new to the school uh, and he literally lifted her up and threw her across the playground. And I went into complete shock and, you know, I guess I'm a, I'm a bit of a fighter and I'm also very loyal to the people that I care about. I had that same feeling of fear, fight or flight came up for me then. And I went up to him and I, I challenged him and I said, how dare you do that? That is a terrible thing that you just did. And he said to me, I haven't shared this story um, very publicly, but I'm more than happy to do it with you. He challenged me to a fight. Oh. He actually to a fight. And not knowing any better, I said, okay. And after school, we went to across the street from the school. And basically, he started uh, to pick a fight with me physically. And I just remember defending myself. And then he knocked the wind out of me. 
So it was very upsetting and it was unsettling, but I, I want to tell you a very interesting thing about that story. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I wouldn't do that today if I were that little girl. Yeah. But, um, she has brought that up many times to me and she is no sorry i just lost a few words there uh the 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 friend of mine that i defended she has brought that up many times she even went as far as bringing it up on social media and that how much it meant to her being a new girl at school and that i was the one that came forward and defended her wow it meant a lot to her it I'm meant sure a lot to her. It really did. And I learned about myself. I mean, again, I wouldn't put myself in harm's way like that physically. Again, I wouldn't advise a child to do that. No. I, I went purely on reactive instinct. Um, I, but to apply mindfulness to that today and the way in which mindfulness is so valuable for children is it helps them self-regulate. So you're not going to give in to impulsivity in the same way if you can have a deeper understanding of mindfulness. Sure. Well, thanks for sharing that story. I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners will appreciate it too. As we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, Aura. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? You know, I really took myself on a mindfulness seeking journey and I read a lot of books on mindfulness and I've worked closely with Dr. Ronald Alexander in the area of mindfulness. Uh, He's a colleague of mine and has also been a mentor. I have researched mindfulness. It's, It's a subject that's very dear to my heart and it's really the basis of my work. I would say reading books by John Kabat-Zinn was really my first introduction, other than my own mindfulness meditation practice, of you know really somebody bringing a clear understanding of mindfulness into the Western um, environment, if you will. So I, I would say he was really a wonderful uh, person to read. You know, and, and even the beginnings of his book, um, the Be- Mindfulness and Beginners and wherever, wherever You Go, There You Are. Those are two wonderful books that I really appreciated in reading about mindfulness. Yeah, I did too. I, I very much appreciate his writings. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Aura? Oh, mindfulness is such an incredible tool to use to being observant and aware of our emotions. Do you know, when we have a deeper understanding of our emotions, which I feel mindfulness has helped me do, we can really understand our emotions better. So I feel that it's given me a much deeper understanding of what I'm feeling and how to be present with whatever emotion I'm experiencing. How is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? Breathing is um, the greatest gift because it reminds us that we're alive and that we're here and that we're breathing and so therefore we're alive. I highly recommend people connect to their breath, whether they're sitting in meditation or you need to just stop while you're sitting at your desk working and take a couple of deep breaths in and out. It's the great anchor it regulates very very valuable so i i'm a big fan of uh the breath 
If you could recommend a book other than the two wonderful books you've written, what book would you recommend that's related to mindfulness? Oh my goodness, there's just so many books. I mean, I love all of Thich Nhat Hanh's books. Too many to mention, do you know? Um, uh, I really um, love Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I believe that's the title, if I'm getting it correct. Uh, You know, I, I feel that any of uh, John Kabat-Zinn's books, any of Thich Nhat Hanh's books are just a plethora of, of jewels and pearls uh, as far as one really venturing into learning more about mindfulness. And one last question. Can you share an app which can help people to be more mindful? I think Insight is a great app. Um, that's the one that I'm most familiar with because there's so many meditation teachers on it that offer up their particular, um, ways of meditation or their styles of meditation. And you can, you know, create these meditation challenges with yourself, you know, by using one of these teachers teachings. Yes. And it's called insight timer. I N S I G H T insight timers. Yeah, that's really, I would say that's my favorite one that's out there. Yeah, that's a terrific app. It really is. Well, you can uh, be reached at theiftt.org, which is an acronym for the Institute for Transformational Thinking. And uh, I have really enjoyed this conversation with you today, Aura, and enjoyed your book tremendously. And I would encourage my listeners, you know, go out there and get that book. It's absolutely wonderful. It really is. Live true. And, uh, you know, get the book. And I'll put all this information in the show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So thank you, Aura, for being with us today. Thank you, Bruce, so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, the Waves of Content Meditation. It's a guided meditation just for you, Mindful Tribe. It's free and it's very, very helpful to help you relax and get more focused. With more focus, you can get more things done in life that truly matter to you. On this meditation, I talk about waves and how the waves can bring you the more calm and more relaxed life you've been looking for. Download this guided meditation to calm your mind and relax your body. Mindfulnessmode.com slash waves of content. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.